0: If you all stand with me for the public reading of God's Word, we're reading from Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 20. The reading will be responsive. I'll, do read, uh, I'll read verse 11, and then uh, Chris will read verse 12. And those of you who are with Chris, um, read along with them, okay? After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island, there was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there heard that we were coming, and they had traveled as far as from the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. Altogether now? For this this reason, reason, I have asked asked to see see you and and to talk with you. It is because because of of the hope of Israel Israel. that I am bound with this this chain. chain. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for gathering us here on the first Sunday of February, we thank you for the souls that are gathered here, both in person and at home through Zoom. We thank God for the availability of technology for us to be able to uh, to join like this remotely. May this technology be used for many, many souls, more souls to be reached uh, during this pandemic. And we thank you, Lord, that you've allowed this nation to wake up and to see that uh, the ban currently on worship service is not accord, in, in accord with the constitution of this country. Uh, help us, Lord, uh, continue to move ahead in the days to come, uh, fixing our eyes on you and to remember that you are the sovereign, you are the sovereign God and that you are, you are it is everything within your providence that comes to pass. And so as we hear your message today, we ask that you would anoint the lips of this preacher with your spiritual power, and that every single word would be delivered intentionally and purposefully, and that all the hearers would receive with gladness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart heart be acceptable and right before you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Still have some people that are not showing face. I just see names. I can't see the names that far, but it would be really good to see some faces up there. Uh, good afternoon. Why don't we, uh, why don't we greet one another? Happy February. Happy February. First day of February. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, really great to share with you the Word of God on the first Sunday of February of 2021. Uh, such day will never come, come again. This is one of the only days that can be described as such. And today happens to be my brother's birthday so, let me, here's a little shout out for my brother. Happy birthday, Honey. Jesus loves you. Uh, and it escaped me to, last Sunday, it escaped me to, to bring to your attention that finally, Adam had proposed to Bo after. Adam, take yourself off a of mute real quickly. After how many years did you propose to uh, Bo? Um, like a little over four years. What? A little over four years. Four years. Wow. Mm-hmm. About time. So we want to say uh, congratulations to you too. Everybody give him a nice hand for congratulations. (laughs) I see a beautiful and godly partnership in making blessings to you. Amen? Okay. Uh, Today we read of Paul finally reaching Rome after many setbacks and adversities on his journey midway. As our text reads, After they were shipwrecked on Malta, they have to spend the winter there for three months on the island. And the island of Malta during winter has similar temperature to ours. I just checked yesterday on on the Google thing, the the temperature, the weather thingy, and uh, I was like 62 degrees, just like around here. Not a bad way of recovering from a very close call, wouldn't you say? If you were out in a ship about to die for two, two weeks, you know, battling with the waves, not a bad way of recovering. When you're going through a difficult ordeal like a life-threatening storm, but when you are assured that you belong to God, as Paul did, without a doubt, this is the first teaching point that we take away. Faith in God turns adversities into adventures. Faith in God turns adversities into adventures. The men in the ship had to go through temporary hardship, two weeks at sea, battling for their lives. But when they landed on the uh, island called Malta, in an area now today known as St. Paul's Bay, they got to receive per- the hospitality from the natives. They got to stay with the, the main guy on the island by the name of Publius for three weeks. And they got to see Paul survive a snake bite. From a viper, like it was nothing. The natives, who just moments earlier thought that he must have been a murderer who escaped the storm, but then you know, the divine justice came to to punish him with the snake. Later, they dis- decided that he was a god. I mean, that's how flippant they are about the, about God. You know, it was a crisis followed by a rescue, safety and restoration, all rolled up into three and a half months of long three-and-a-half-month-long adventure since the onset of the storm. I don't know if you guys ever enjoy traveling. I know at least one guy who's a, not just a traveler, but like a bag, almost like a vagabond of, bag of, of sorts, you know, traveling all across the United States. But I know at least a couple of people that I've known in my life that who really don't, don't care for traveling at all. How many of you, like, just really don't like traveling? Like, hate traveling? Uncomfortable? Are you serious? you you like that? Hard, hard to imagine. I knew a brother from back in Arizona who just enjoyed staying in the comforts of home. And I remember challenging him, really challenging him, let's go to Mexico. This, this is like going to be you know, of a unique chance. If you, if you miss it, you're going to really miss out. And uh, this is what he shared with me. He just couldn't take that leap of faith. He was shyly and timidly sharing with me that he didn't want to witness poverty that he was going to feel guilty about later all the rest of his life. He was afraid of what God may show him. He was sheltering himself from the change that God might have had in store for him. Sometimes we do that by locking ourselves away into the safety because we feel like there's a perceived risk ahead of us. We don't take a plunge forward and we never grow. There are people that talk about, wanting to search for an environment where they can have their faith grow. And the people that say these things, they don't show up on the Sunday service. They don't show up at all. How do you expect to grow in an environment when you think that, when you don't show up to the, to, to the services, when you don't show up to the things that, that you're supposed to take advantage of? How do you expect to meet God when you, when you don't take the first step of uh, the leap of faith? There's something that I notice about our lives here in the United States, especially in the Korean American church. The younger generation in some of our churches may be overprotected to our own detriment. But this sense of self-protection and hypersensitivity is not just unique to Korean Americans. It happens to be a product of our broader culture. The United States, North America has been growing more and more coddled into this fragile existence. That's not the calling that to which God has called us into. Look at our Lord. Look at what he had to go through to save us. The cross that we proclaim is a rugged cross. It's stained with blood. It's not this pristine thing that is, you know, tucked away in a glass cage. Not, not ever. There's a book that's been out there for a few years back by a couple of sociologists, social psychologists, that speaks about this ominous tendency in this generation to cuddle your minds into becoming fragile entities you know like ooh I uh, my cuticle I pulled out my cuticle I'm bleeding I mean we, should, we are so like fragile about ourselves you know even though I do preach that you should be prudent and cautious sometimes I get criticized you know it's not about caution you know I say you got to be careful what you do don't misstep don't falter don't slip and fall don't backslide I mean I'll say those things I'm not advocating safetyism. I'm not advocating that. I'm not, it's not safety at all costs. Not ever to take risks for the sake of what's comfortable. Sometimes we do this in our churches. When someone says to me, everything in moderation, I'm quick to respond, including moderation. When avoiding all extremes is indeed a call for wisdom. That's what it is. To extremely cling to moderation itself just might keep you lukewarm enough to become useless. Sometimes you gotta take the gloves off and say, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. Sometimes you gotta do that in life. Pay attention to what you're getting used to, those of you at home. Challenge your your challenge your sense of allegiance. Seek deep into your heart and ask yourselves, Is Jesus really your highest? Is is Jesus really my highest? I want you guys to ask yourselves that very seriously. The church is a collective body that fosters a sense of safety, but not at the cost of the exhilarating and vibrant life of faith that, yes, does include risk. At times, does cost losses. Sometimes you'll lose some things, but always reminds us that when we go out out with our all, There are unforgettable episodes of genuine, divine encounter. When you are able to let go of all those little worries and boldly move forward into that uncomfortable space, outside of your comfort zone where you have to skip a shower for like three, four days, you will notice that God has suddenly become much, much closer. I'm sure you guys experienced it before I don't know if you've heard, I caught the news of this just yesterday. According to the LA Times staff reporter, the Supreme Court has lifted California's ban on indoor church services during this pandemic just past Friday. And I'm, I'm reading from the Times, quote, The justices in a 6-3 to three decision granted an appeal from a church down in San Diego that had been repeatedly challenging the state's restriction on church services. You know from this appeal something important had been acknowledged this is again quote from the times the justices in the majority differed among themselves but they agreed that california had singled out churches for unfair treatment brothers and sisters safety is just as important to me in my own household i have two children that are pre-medical they're going to become physici- physicians, or, or some serving the, the com- larger community at the capacity of, of doctors, or or something along those lines. So obviously, they're going to be they're going to be concerned about exposure. They're going to be concerned about those things. But I want you to remember, there are healthcare professionals who are out there on the front lines right now, wearing their masks, you know, doing covering 12-hour shifts, sometimes even after that. And we have doctors and nurses in training right now. We have a, a dental doc, doctor, of dentistry in the making, hopefully, right, application. We have nursing. I mean, when a pandemic hits and when, when you are in the front lines, it is you people that are going to be in the front lines, right? The highest priority for the believer, I want you to know this, safety is not a means. It, it's, not, it's not the end. It's, it's only a means for a greater end. The greater end being the highest priority being the believers being in worship being in worship sometimes for the healthcare professional to be out in the front lines fulfilling their function and their duty of the god given talent that is worship in itself sometimes for a pastor to gather in people you know from their safetyism and then I'm having them collectively come taking the protective measures of course to gather together in worship that is that is part of worship That is part of acknowledging God as a purveyor of any kind of safety that we may enjoy day in and day out. Just uh, yesterday, during our quiet time reading, uh, I was reading, I came across, in Matthew 10, I came across Jesus' own words. Jesus says this, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we think that we can, like, you know, secure something of this life on our own accord, we're vastly mistaken. The author of of life who issues another day to you guys, to us, is Jesus. If Jesus wants to take me back tomorrow, he can, right? But if he says, you know what, I'll grant you, like, at least, you know, 10 more years, again, that's up to the Lord. He's the one that has the call on that. In the reading today, we notice that they get on another ship from Alexandria. In all likelihood, it was a cargo ship again, carrying grain, just like the other one that they, that they capsized, that they ran aground in a sandbar. Except this one is sporting the figureheads of Castor and Pollux, the Greco-Roman twin patron gods for protection of sailors. I don't know if you've ever heard of St. Christopher. Does anybody have any Catholic friends? Do you guys know what St. Christopher is? You don't know who that is right okay so nobody has any catholic friends saint christopher is like a little amulet of a, of a saint that it was existing a real catholic saint who's supposed to be the patron saint of all travelers so being that these guys <laughs> these 276 men were in like a life threatening crisis of two weeks just battling with the storm to have that kind of a Greek mythological figure the Greek god of this protection is like at least a sense of security for them It's basically an idol that we use as a as a crutch some some sense of security The ship probably had uh, some Gentiles probably not yet believers They must have derived a sense of security from such figureheads of patron gods Since the last storm is still pretty fresh on their minds even though for three months they were able to rest in the beautiful island of Malta, to get on the same the, the ship that looks exactly alike as the first one, maybe uh, it might be a little uncomfortable. But here's the real question. The question is, how many from the 276 on board, except, except for Paul, who's already a believer, you know, at the front lines, Luke and Aristarchus, who were on the boat, how many of them were now thinking about this God to whom Paul belongs and serves? That's what I'm thinking. They just went through this life-threatening scenario together, all together, right? Could there having been rescued from the certain death be enough of an eye-opener to take credence to the God who Paul was proclaiming? Because Paul was like in charge. He was really in the leadership of that ship that was about about to capsize. He was the one that was able to break bread and give thanks in the middle of that storm and have the men eat to their fill so that they could have enough strength to be able to at least swim ashore. Otherwise, we could have seen some great casualties at that, at that, at that crisis. We can see that by around 60, year 60, this is when this happens in our text. Christianity had converts already even as far as Puteoli, today known as Puzzoli, next to Naples, Italy. I don't know if you saw the picture in the title page. If, can you go, go ahead and go back to that picture, David? If you can, share that screen. Oh, wow, awesome. This is a picture of an area called Three Taverns, which was uh, featured mentioned in verse 15. A few years back, our family had a, a done a vacation, and we were actually near there. But of course, at the time, I had no idea that we were pretty close to Paul's journey, Paul's missionary journey. We were like right there uh, in Sorrento taking a ferry to Capri Island. And uh, so Paul and his company, they spent about a week with brothers and sisters that they had found there. So even when they arrived to Italy, they already have other Christians that have traveled from very distant places to meet with them. I mean... God's love being shown at that time in that beautiful way. Which leads to me uh, to our second point of the day. Paul, is, Paul has reached Italy. Now he has reached Rome, right? The second point is, God is certain to fulfill your visions in him. For Paul, going to Rome was not just a personal ambition that he had for Christ. It was something that was coming from Jesus. If you look earlier in chapter 23 of Acts when Paul was being protected by the commander Claudius Lysias after voicing the gospel in front of the uh, Sanhedrin while in the barracks Jesus himself appeared to Paul and stood next to him and said take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem so also you must testify in Rome. Here at this time you might want to jog your memory and see if God has given you a vision of any kind has God ever given you a vision some kind of a vision for him something that is beautiful and grand but where you will fit into the narrative that he's writing he's writing a grand old story right now we're in Acts 28 we're in the last chapter of this saga but the story of God did not conclude with Acts 28. In fact, continues on into this thing we call Acts 29. His will is still being done. The Holy Spirit is still alive. This is, in fact, the age of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It is, right? What vision has God given you? Next Saturday, we'll be having our winter retreat through Zoom for the youth group. And the theme is, somewhere along, I'm not sure if it's exactly this way, but I think the theme is, we are God's miracles. This is kind of like the slogan for this year for Pastor Daniel and all of us here at NBC, where we examine the life of Joseph, who had been granted a vision in a dream. Do you guys all remember the story of Joseph and his dream? You remember, right? Where this bumpkin, (laughs) you know, this uh, naive young fella, he had the dream where, His older brothers were going to bow down to him and his father and mother were going to bow down to him in deference and respect. Well, it's something that comes true in the most miraculous of ways. What vision has God given you for his kingdom? How are you inching forward towards that vision that he has given you? I don't know if you've had to have a chance to, and now this, this is going to sound really self-serving, like I'm promoting my own thing, but uh, there's a video podcast interview that I did with uh, Pastor Daniel, our new senior pastor. I don't even know if you guys are aware that I did a monthly video podcast. Were you, were you aware that I do that? Okay, some of you are like nodding your head. Did you like and subscribe? <laughs> okay, yeah, from the pulpit with authority, right? Like and subscribe. Anyway, it's all it's all jokes. But I I did that so that uh, you would get to know him, so you would get to know who is replacing Pastor Lee, that has served this year for the last four, 12, 14 years. You know, it's uh, if you have not seen him yet, take a look because he shares his vision, his ministry vision for this church. In the second part, I asked him about it, and he started getting excited. Like, the first part was kind of formal and, you know, a little bit rigid, but he, he started warming up towards the second part. And uh, he, he wanted NBC to not be limited to being an ethnic church. That means he doesn't want NBC to stay a Korean-American church. He wants NBC to become one day a multi-ethnic church where every person from different cultures will feel welcome here, coming here. Guess, guess who was guess who was here before he even said that that had the same vision. Guess, me. I'm like that's. I'm like so happy. That's my vision too. Like I'm like long lost kindred spirit brothers. You know, I'm like just tickle pink. Anyway, uh, he was sharing the story about a, a, a church in Houston. It was a Salvation Army church, not the huge Soul Baptist Church in you know Houston or. New Life, but it's a Salvation Army church of about 200 people in membership. And when he had visited there, in the sanctuary, there was 27 flags that were hanging, that were representing the ethnicities of the attendees. 200 members, 27 ethnicities. That's a multicultural church. That's a multicultural space. That is a vision of God for his kingdom. Not just the Jews, in Judea and Samaria but to the ends of the earth all nations coming down to bow to the Lord of Jesus Christ is that a beautiful scenario is that a beautiful vision you bet it is it is and he was you know telling me and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if this is a, a vision from God or if it's just my wishful thinking because the truth is ethnic churches are necessary Guess why Korean services can't have all these other people? Because we conduct our services in Korean. If you only understand Korean, that's the language by which the service will have to be conducted. But us, you guys, the ESC, we have the onus is on us to look to the future. Okay, I see like you guys are all really young, but when I see you guys, I have my mind works this way. I can look 10, 15 years down the line. I can see when Maybe Timmy has a little boy, Timmy Junior. <laughs> and and when, when he's coming to this church, is it just going to be a bunch of other Korean Americans you know, huddled together? I think not. I think not. Not if I have something to say about it. Not if Pastor Daniel has something to say about it. I think you will have a much greater representation of what is truly in the population around this vicinity. It's not going to be easy, and there will certainly be some storms along the way, but if it is, in fact, God's vision to have the english generation, English-speaking generation, english generation to have a multi-ethnic church in this space, it will certainly come to fruition. It is a biblical vision. Just like Paul had made it to Rome in one piece, the vision of a multicultural ESC for MBC, should it be coming from God, it shall certainly come to fruition. Like I shared, this is also my vision, not just for NBC. Not just for NBC. It's not a a proprietary vision. But it is for all second-generation Korean-American churches. Being that I'm a Korean-American, I grew up in the United States, just being that I'm a 1.5, the bridge generation, so is Pastor Daniel. When we look ahead, we necessarily have to look ahead into the future, several decades into the future, and wonder, is it going to look alike? Is it going to look the same? Pastor Daniel, he doesn't think so. He doesn't think that there's going to be a continued influx of the first generation continuing to occupy this space for the survival, for the sur- for the flourishing and the thriving of the next generation church. We're going to have to open our doors to different people from different backgrounds. Now this is where... Uh, Pastor Daniel asked, you know, I asked asked him, you know, during the interview, is there anything specific that you would like to share with the ESC? Is there a message for them? He said, yeah, that's it. That's basically it. ESC is going to have to step up, step in, and take charge of this space becoming more and more multicultural. How many of you have non-Korean friends, friends that are not Korean? That's good. And uh, if they're not attending churches in other places, you should just, you know, very friendly... Compel them to come. Say, you should, you should hang out. Our, our pastor is, a, is kind of a multicultural guy, right? How open are you to inviting people from other races and cultures into your house church? You might wonder to yourself, man, uh, this uh, message doesn't reflect the text that much, but it's going there. Just be patient with me. Now, uh, just a week before our podcast interview on Ma- Martin Luther King Jr. Day, to this year it fell on the 18th of January. It was observed on Monday. I was doing a bike ride on Fullerton on Fullerton Loop. It's one of my favorite things of <laughs> like it's one of the perks of living in Orange County is that if you like bike riding and if you like mountain biking, Fullerton Loop, man, that's like you know that's where it's at. And uh, I had done a b- bunch of chores with the family at home on Monday because that's my day off, and uh, I got a little late start. And it was only the second time I got to I got to get on the course, but so you know, like I'm out of shape and I'm struggling on some hills. I have to get off the bike and actually push the bike up, you know. But thank God, I had managed to like about the last twenty five percent of the of the uh, of the course. It's like a eleven it's like a eleven mile loop, and uh, a very tall, very dark African American fellow came up riding to my right. And we're chatting. And he's like, hey, do you mind if I ride with you? I go, no, fine. Let's ride together. It turns out that it was his his first time riding the course. And he has like a quarter of the leg of the journey left. And it's getting dark. So it's getting pretty scary. Because it's not just flat road, nicely lit. It gets pretty dark in some areas. Uh, But thanks to God, I knew the course really well. Because I've done it many, many times. So I don't mind, being my guest. So we're like riding together and we're getting into this light conversation. Uh, and neither of us having any light in the darkness, he was able to rely on me in spite of the inherent dangers of riding in the dark, plus with the rough terrain. There's some downhills, there's some uphills, you know, there's rocks. We were able to manage. And at the end of the ride, I introduced myself and I gave him some information about our church. You guys remember the little book? bookmark that I had made. I had like put stickers on there because it said Easter 2000 whatever, you know. And so I give it to him and, and uh, it turns out that he's also Baptist. And he told me that he lives out here in Long Beach. I go, really? We're over here in Cyprus. Very close. Tall African-American sales engineer. By the way, uh, Jamar, if you're uh, listening, please feel free to visit us in person. Right? As I invite Jamar, to our church. This is something that I do by faith, by hope, by the vision, right? The reality sinks in. As I turn and turn and drive home, I go, how ready are we? How ready are we to receive these people and make them feel welcome? Visitors from other ethnicities, African Americans, Latinos, other kinds of Asians, Vietnamese, people that have other other background, people that have Buddhist background, you know, why, why, they, why would they be so afraid if, if we're not going to be judgmental, if we're going to just let them have a chance to hear the gospel and perhaps have the Spirit of God touch their hearts, open their eyes? Because the church that God envisions is one of all nations, all nations. This is one of the central features of the gospel being preached to the Gentiles, non-Jews. It goes against the ethnocentric tendencies of the Jewish faith. This is actually one of the Achilles heels of the faith in the church, is that there's a history of ethnocentrism. Every race thinks that it's the only only purveyor and the only, only uh, proprietor of the gospel. We privatize it like the gospel is ours and, you know, we're ours only, kind of, right? I mean, if you If you're reading the book of Acts, at least there's one apostle and missionary par excellence that goes against that grain, and he's saying, No, God of the Jews is the God of all nations. God of all nations is the God of the whole universe. Amen? That's who we're coming to worship today. That's who we're coming to worship today. The house church model was not one for building cliques. I remember when I first came to church, uh, and I was like, you know, I was undergoing salvation by you know, hearing the gospel and at- attending church. There were so many cliques that were so together, and they knew each other, they have long history. And so an outsider like myself, even though I'm of the same culture and uh, same background, grew up in the United States, speak Korean, eat kimchi, it was really hard to penetrate to this, uh, like groups of people that were already like really tightly knit. You know, So if it wasn't one brother or a sister that was always sitting by me during lunchtime, I would have never felt welcome enough to, to feel like I was part of the larger group. You know, ironically enough, it is at that very church where I got called into pastoral ministry, and this is something that I want to uh, call and bring to our attention. The church does not stand on its own for, uh, for, the, for the sake of their own members. We don't come here as consumers trying to fill our personal needs about something. But if anything may be a particular need, is for each and every one of us to become discipled in the image of Jesus Christ. So just like Christ, we will be able to serve the people around us, to be a light. To be a light in this world. To be a, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Amen. That's the call. That's the call for us. When Paul went to Rome to preach. It's because the entire Mediterranean world was under Roman imperial regime. The whole, the whole of, uh, of that area, whole, you know, the European parts, it was all swallowed up by Rome. Um, Paul was being sent to the central seat of power at that time. From a strategic point of view, it makes complete sense. It would be completely analogous of someone like Moses being sent to Pharaoh in Egypt. During that time, a central superpower Egypt like Daniel being sent to Nebuchadnezzar Daniel and his two friends being sent to the Babylonians right It would be like a South Korean man down you know from Seoul or somewhere being sent to Pyongyang to preach Christ to Kim Jong-un that's what it's like over here what we're reading here Paul going into Rome and Rome was a multicultural place it wasn't just Italian it was, a, it, was a, it was a hodgepodge of a lot of different people that were migrating from different parts. It's much like Orange County in California. If the book of Acts doesn't read as relevant to our days now, you may be reading it the wrong way. You may really want to check how you're reading it. You may want to check if you're really reading it correctly. It has everything to do with how God will use you for his kingdom in our present context. God wants to use you in our present context with all the gifts and the talents and all the things that he has bestowed upon you, all the things that he has given you, plus the things that he will give you in the future, the spiritual abilities that you have yet to uh, untap, un- tap into, you know, uncap. After three days of his arrival in Rome, he calls together local Jewish leaders, and he begins his whole speech With the self-introduction by the way of self-defense by now this is a standard customary thing whenever he goes anywhere he has to start with a self-defense it's like you know it's almost a habit my brothers although i have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors i was arrested in jerusalem and handed over to the romans paul was accused by his own people of inciting riots defiling the temple of teaching people heresy and leading them away from the Old Testament truth of Moses and the prophets. But under trial, as they were examining Paul, he, did, he didn't any, do anything to, no infractions against Roman civil laws, not even infractions against, against the Jewish laws of his own people. He was found completely innocent. Verse 18, he says this, They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. So why were the Jews so against Paul? This is always like a puzzle that remains in my mind. Why were they so adamantly against Paul, I imagine? It's the same reason, very same reason, why they were so set on having Jesus sent to the cross. A student is not above his master, right? If Jesus was sent to the cross for the truth, the disciple that proclaimed the same truth is getting mistreated. It was, I want to call it, an, maybe an allergic reaction to the truth of God. It was a group of people who were very much set on living in the darkness. They don't want to know. They want to oppose it. This is a satanic thing. It's a satanic thing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of this allegory from a Greek philosopher, Plato. Plato. A lot of people, like Christians like to say, "Oh, don't bring in Plato to your pulpit. But uh, I don't know. The the God that I serve is above all those things. Plato could have been used by God. In this cave, it's an allegory called the cave. There's this cave, right? And all the people that are in this cave, they're condemned to be chained, to only be looking at the wall of the cave. And they're not able to look outside. Because to look outside, they would have to be able to turn, but they're chained. Essentially. So the whole entire reality that they understand is based on these uh, figurines and the shadows that are just kind of dancing as, they're, as, it be, as it's being reflected from outside with the, through the light. That's all they know of reality. But suppose one person is loosened from the shackles of these chains, that they're able to come free and that they're able to really indeed turn not only to turn and face the light that's coming from the other side, but to maybe even get up and walk, right, as they're free. The only problem is that the light that they face from the outside is so bright that it is actually painful to face. It's painful to face that light. And the truth of God is often like that. The truth of God is often like that. While on the one hand, it is a light of warmth, comfort, and life, and beauty. While it certainly will dispel darkness within us, it will clear away the sin. This is not a painless process. Sometimes it will involve some, some discomfort, right? So the Jews object. They don't, wanna, they don't want to get that shot in the arm. They don't want, they don't want to know the truth. They, they want to just remain in the darkness. So verse 19, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. There's a dual concern in Paul's heart. He loves his own people. He loves the Jews. He's first and foremost a Jew, a Pharisee on top of that. He was <laughs> circumcised and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's, royal, he's connected to royal lineage, if you want to say so. The Jews objecting against Paul's proclamation as something deserving of legal proceeding forces Paul to appeal to Caesar, not to get the Jews in trouble, but because they're saying that Paul needs to be condemned, he is going to the highest authority. But Now when Paul comes to Rome, it is to proclaim the gospel as the hope of Israel. Perhaps if Paul reaches, uh, reaches preaches to the highest power in Rome, the true highest power of all the universe can be revealed and humanity can find its way to the kingdom of God. Maybe that was the hope that Paul had in his heart. It is a daring mission, but I want to say that, that Paul probably knew that that would be the end of the line. You know, He probably knew that that is where he was, his journey would end, in Rome. A bold and worthy cause to devote your whole life into. Blessed is the person who finds that one thing into which he or she can pour his whore, her own whole life without batting an eyelash. Because that's when you have found something truly worth living for. When you have found that thing to, to worthy of die for, you have found that one thing truly, truly worthy of your whole life. Now in the case of Paul, it meant to die in the hands of a tyrant As a martyr. But I don't know about you. To me, Paul's alive. He's alive forever. Literally and figuratively. He's alive right now. Listen to what Paul says as we close our message today. Verse 20. For this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Now, by way of concluding this message, I will ask you a rhetorical question. Is it really for only the hope of Israel that Paul is bound in chains? Just for the Jews, right? David, if you will go to the next uh, slide, our final point. The hope of Israel turns out to be the hope of nations. Is it just for the salvation of the Korean Americans that NBC stands? Does NBC exist just for the salvation of the Korean Americans in this neighborhood? Is that the case? Absolutely not. Obviously not. This is something that was quoted by Jesus, and it goes as far back as Isaiah. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. And uh, when you get to Matthew, I think it's verse verses 18 through 21 in Matthew. Is it Matthew 12? Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will he, nor will hear, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. That's the title of our message today. The Hope of Nations. Jesus is the hope of nations. Jesus Christ is the hope of all nations. When I was in Arizona, I was serving a church. The name of that church was Arizona Korean All Nations Church. It's funny that we have to add that Korean in front of the All Nations, right? Why not just All Nations Church? It happens that we are Korean. It happens that those of you who are sitting here, some of you are male, some of you are female, some of you are young, some of us are older, right? All these, all these circumstantial things, all these things that just happens to be the accidental things, right? It's not what determines our identity. It's not what gives us value as people. There's Korean pride, right? It's not what, it doesn't make, it doesn't make us any more excellent because we're Korean. But what actually does prove that we are of any worth is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one and only, has found it worthy. Worthy to die for each and every one of our souls. That is why your souls are precious before my eyes. That is why my my soul is precious before His. That is why we come together. And that is why the truth that we behold in our hearts is truly the hope of all nations. So here's a challenge that I have for you guys during your house church meetings when you get together during this Friday. I don't know if you guys if the uh, shepherds lead you into these discussion sections but they're all there. Check your bulletins. It's always there every Sunday. If you miss out on this you, we go through a huge disconnect between what goes on in the house churches and what goes on in here during Sundays. It's connected. It's in, inextricably connected. In what ways might we, in what practical ways might we be able to be more inviting to those who are other than our race, you know, without even making it so obvious, right? So that is the challenge that we have for us. Um, it is not the priority. Of course, gospel is a priority. It is because of gospel that the natural byproduct would be the love that knows no boundaries. It's not just us, the Korean people that we love. It's not just us that we love one another. It's the other that we're able to love. In fact, if you pay attention to the discourse in this day and age in the media, the tension is over racial relations. The gospel was meant to overcome those tensions. Amen? Can Christ be elevated in that way, in the way we comport ourselves out there? Give me a amen if you if you if you receive that call as your own, amen. Alright, let us close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing me uh, this very much needed message, uh, perhaps overdue. Um, our nation, Lord, divided by tomfoolery, people uh, just projecting hate upon the other, when your precise call into our lives is to love the other love the other to love the neighbor as ourselves to not just to love our neighbors which even the unbelievers do but to love even our enemies the high calling that you call us into Lord is only possible because you have showed us first as you are sustaining the beatings and the blows from the very people that were killing you you have shouted to your father forgive them for they do not know what they do Help us, Lord, internalize that into our hearts so that we may be sure that every step that we walk from this day on forward, we are truly born again. Help us, Lord, represent you. Help us not befall the tragedy of misrepresenting you. Help each and every one of us have the courage to live in that way so that our faith will truly be an adventure. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Now, before you do the uh, response, we're going to have a communion service. Um, when you take the cup here, there's a communion kit. Did everybody receive one? If they, okay, good. Uh, if you guys are home joining us. Now, it turns out that um, the formal baptism by immersion is not what's required for you to take the communion if you have received the holy spirit if you've received jesus in your heart then you can partake in this and you when you examine yourself throughout the week and you go you know what i want to partake in this thing because i'm a part of his body if you identify yourself as a part of his body then you are free to take it only refrain when you when you don't when you don't have those convictions because then it can be harmful against you so this is the words of the very same apostle that we're reading about in the book of Acts. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and peel open the first... first uh, Covering. And then you can take the communion away for a new one hand. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And go ahead and open the cup and break the bread and then take it come take it uh, freely at this time want you pray with me dear precious father we thank you lord We thank you that, uh, that we get to call you our Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the most lovable person that ever existed, and, uh, and we get to call you our friend. You call us your, your, your friend, and we get to call you our God and our Lord. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for wanting to have a heart of love that, is, that has the capacity, even the daring and the audacity, audacity to forgive those who trespass or transgress against us. Lord, uh, we know that the way of your kingdom and your heaven is just right there in front of us. So help us, Lord, take that risk to take the step forward and, and embark into what it is that you're creating, you're showing and revealing. You have said that the kingdom of heaven is among us, and as we take this communion, may we be a part of it, and may we be able to represent you as ambassadors to those who don't yet know you, so that we could have many more in your fold, in your family, in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Now, at this time, we'll have a time of praise and response, after which we have a time of offering.